It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And it is Carcon Carne, still stuck in quarantine, not going anywhere anytime soon. Carcon Carne, sponsored today by CH Financial Services. CH offers a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero cost payment processing solution, which eliminates expenses tied to accepting credit cards. CH also offers cost effective commercial lending programs, which can help you get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented, nay, dystopian times. To learn more, contact C&H Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. The new book from Chris Franz is Remain in Love. Chris Franz is a hero. You know him from Talking Heads. You know him from Tom Tom Club. And this book, Remain in Love, is a document of your career, which was so much fun to go through. Hello, Chris Franz. Hello, James. Hi, everybody. So Remain in Love, it's an obvious play. The title's an obvious play on Remain in Love. Yes, it, it is. It's and it it looks like this. It's uh I love a, the visual reference. A really cool designer named Megan Wilson designed this cover for me. And it's, uh it's selling like hotcakes, James. Well, it's a it's a value at any price, really. But given yeah. the name and that it is a play off the name Remain in Light, I, I'll just ask out of the gate. Is Remain in Light the best Talking Heads album? Maybe. Uh, I, I, you know, I played on all the Talking Heads albums and I have many favorites because the experience was so exciting and so, uh, you know, frankly, challenging at times, uh, most of the time. Uh, I'm very fond also of Fear of Music and... um, even I'm even I, I love our first album. I mean, Psycho Killer, you know, uh, yeah, we'll cycle uh, through everything. And um, I even I especially like some of the songs on our final album, which was called Naked. Uh, Nothing But Flowers was oh, yeah. pretty hip. And, and I also I love Blind, the song Blind, which is very relevant right now. It's funny how how many talking heads not funny but it's it's kind of great fabulous how many uh talking head songs still sound so hip and and uh uh contemporary. So I totally agree. So well, that, that all those albums aside, I hate to ask but is True Stories the least best? Uh I I wouldn't say that. Uh, uh um I've noticed that many people have said that, but I, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't have a least best when it comes to talking heads or Tom, Tom club. Uh, we were, uh, we were always about quality, not quantity. You know? and, and you said it, the, the songs and the albums, they really do have that evergreen feel. They don't feel dated. They feel absolutely contemporary. You mentioned fear of music. I mean, I could listen to air or heaven right now and they sound completely new and fresh yeah uh, life during wartime absolutely it's pretty it's funky but it's uh the subject matter is very relevant and uh, thank goodness we're not really at wartime right now i mean at least not in the united states uh it's um 
these are crazy times. And, and I, I guess we, we wrote a few songs that are appropriate for crazy times. Absolutely. Uh, Remain in Love is the new book by Chris Franz. And it's a book about your life. And it's easy to say that the love in the title is about your enduring love for Tina Weymouth and the relationship you have with her. But I read this book, Chris, and to me, it's also about your love for music. Everything about it, touring, making an album, finding that creative big idea in the studio. I feel like it's two different love stories here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love my bands, too. I still do. And uh, I, I, but of course, Tina. Tina's the, Tina's the major love, and she's like the star of this book. But everybody wants to hear about Talking Heads. And uh, I guess I, I'm the first uh, actual inside band member to write about that experience. And uh, like nobody was going to write the Chris France memoir except for me, right? So, <laughs> so the, these are my, uh, these are my, about my feelings and about uh, uh, about well, it's it's my point of view of what went down between nineteen the well when that when Talking Heads started up until the 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 night we were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and to fast forward to that part, you you said it. You had the greatest line. Uh, that, that put a bow on the whole experience with Talking Heads. And I'm pulling it up right now. Yes. I'd like to thank the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for giving this band a happy ending. That says it all. Yeah. I, uh, short but sweet. <laughs> and and, uh, and it, was a, it was a happy ending. You know, I was, uh, uh, you can say what you want about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, how it's, you know, great or no longer relevant or, a bunch of BS, you can, you're entitled to your opinions. But I can tell you, as a musician, when you get the call that you're, you're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and would you care to perform that night? Uh, that's a pretty exciting phone call to get. I At bet. least it was for me. And I know, and it was so great that on that same night, uh, our friends, the Ramones, were also inducted, uh, both of us in our first year of eligibility. So, so that was cool. And uh, it, was, it was great to, you know, share that night with them. And, and also Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and, yeah. and Isaac Hayes and Brenda Lee. I mean, good God, it was so, so much fun. <laughs> Going back to Tina, you, Chris, did the impossible. You kept this relationship growing and thriving for decades. You did that while working together in multiple bands. I mean, I, I've read enough about Fleetwood Mac to know that this is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I think it was easier for me than it was for them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, well, you know, uh, it. it Tina and I do not agree on every single thing a hundred percent, but, but we respect each other and we love each other. And we're, we, we, we know how to work things out uh, when we do disagree on a, a, any particular subject. But most, most of the time we do agree. And most of the time it's, it's no, no trouble at all. And, and I think I say in the book that I, I, people often have asked me, what's it like to work with your wife, you know? Uh, uh, 
in a rock and roll band. And, and all I can say is I, I've never known it any other way, really. It, I mean, I had a couple little bands when I was a teenager and in, and in college, but uh, from, from the inception of Talking Heads on, it's been, uh, I've been working with Tina as, you know, I'm the drummer and she's the bass player. And we, we nine times out of 10, we, we sort of see eye to eye without even talking about it. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's like a telepathy type of thing. Uh, reading everything you wrote about Tina in the book, I can't help but think that for a woman to read this book, she might walk away thinking, I need to find my Chris France. I, I... <laughs> well, sorry, ladies, I'm taking. <laughs> you mentioned when you uh, splintered off and did Tom Tom Club. I mean, that to me seemed like the thing that kept you in talking heads, like being able to go off and scratch that itch with Tina, do Tom Tom Club. That made it so that you had the kind of, not strength is the wrong word, but the positive attitude to keep talking heads moving forward. Yes. It, it, the success of Tom Tom club in many ways, uh, you know, also helped talking heads, but uh, we, you know, Tina and I never had any intention of, of doing anything outside of talking heads. We, our hand was sort of forced because uh, David, uh, told our manager, he didn't tell us, but he told our manager, you know, I'm going to be making a solo album. Uh, 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 I'm doing the music for a Twyla Tharp uh, dance project, which is a really cool project to do. More power to him. Uh, and and we found that Twyla, Twyla had a very good influence on David. You know, they were r romantically involved at mm -hmm. that time as well. And she, she had a, she, she sort of brought him down to earth or something, but, but, but he, we, we noticed, uh, we noticed that she had a very good influence on him. And then when, when, when David said he was doing a solo album, Jerry said, well, if David's going to do one, I'm going to do one. And so both of them went to Seymour Stein and they got advances to do these solo projects. So we thought, what are we going to do? Tina and I, what are we going to do now for who knows how long, you know, these guys are going to be busy on their solo projects. And uh, our accountant said, you better do something because uh, you've only got $2,000 in the bank and that's not enough to support your lifestyle. <laughs> because the reason we had so little money in the bank was that we had just finished the remain in light tour, which was a, uh, you know, made history really uh, touring around the world with, with uh, the expanded lineup, all those great players, uh, Bernie Worrell, Bernie Worrell, Adrian Ballou, Steve Scales, Dillette McDonald. And uh, so, so the, oh, Busta Cherry Jones and uh, uh you know, at, at the end of the tour, after all those hotel rooms and airplane tickets and rental cars and buses and every all that, there there wasn't much money left. Uh, every all the all the uh, side musicians got paid, but uh, we in the we in the the nucleus of the band, uh, we were the ones writing the checks, and uh, 
There was not much left. So our manager went to Chris Blackwell, who he had, our manager was a guy named Gary Kerfurst, and he had managed Peter Tosh and Toots and the Maytals and the Mighty Diamonds. And uh, he had done a lot of work for uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers when they were touring the United States. And um, so he had a good relationship with Chris Blackwell. And he, he went to Chris, who we knew because uh, we had uh, made a couple of records down at Compass Point already. And Chris said, oh, cool. He said, um, I understand the value of a good rhythm section. And, uh, you know, I uh, would like to offer Chris and Tina to come down here to Compass Point and cut a single. And if I like the single, then they can do a whole album. And that sounded really good to us because we loved Island Records and every, yeah. al almost everything that was ever released on Island Records. You know, that, that was one of those labels that you would buy their most recent release. Right. It was Island. And we loved that record label. And we, we were very fond of Chris Blackwell himself as a, as a person. And uh, we also, the, just having to do a single as opposed to biting off a whole album all at once was very appealing to us. We could sort of get our feet wet and see, yeah. how, see how it worked out. And so we went, we were supposed to actually be produced by Lee Perry. Like, like we thought we need a producer. So, and we loved Lee Perry and uh, you know, also known as scratch. And uh, so we, we had a meeting uh, Island set up a meeting with Scratch in New York City, where he happened to be at the time, at the Howard Johnson's Hotel on 8th Avenue. All the Rastas like to stay at the Howard Johnson's. I'm not sure why, uh, but maybe they were just nice to them or something. Or maybe it was the Continental Breakfast. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, we had a, a, a 11 p.m. meeting with Scratch. And uh, he said, yeah, man, I'd love to do it. We can do it. It's great. It's going to be great. And so we, we thought, fabulous. We're going to work with Scratch, you know. And so we packed up our gear. We went, we booked the studio. We went down to Compass Point. We waited two weeks and, and Scratch had not shown up yet. Like the first week, I thought, well, it's not unusual for a Jamaican artist to be a little late. Uh, <laughs> One <work."> week later. <laughs> but after two weeks, our manager finally got him on the phone and he said, manager said, well, Scratch, you know, Chris and Tina are waiting for you in the Bahamas. The studio's booked. What's up? And, and, and Scratch said, oh, it's about the money. And uh, so our manager said, well, what do you want? And, and Scratch said, oh, it's no problem, man. I want $1,000 an hour. And uh, <laughs> our manager said, sounds like you trying to price yourself out of this gig. Um, we can't afford $1,000 an hour. And, and, he, and Scratch said, no problem, man. We make the album in six hours. <laughs> Amazing. So, so uh, at that point, uh, we just, Tina and I said to Gary, you know what, let's work. We want, we 
maybe a better idea to work with this young Jamaican engineer that, named Stephen Stanley, who's a resident engineer at Compass Point. He was only just, I think, barely 21, something like that. And uh, he, had, he had cut the basic tracks for the song Once in a Lifetime when uh, Talking Heads was working on Remain in Light and the engineer had a falling out with Brian Eno and split. So he had to get a substitute in real quick. And Stevie was there and, and he cut, he cut uh, the basic tracks for Remain in Light and maybe some other stuff too. But I particularly remember Remain in Light. So we went in with Stevie and the first thing we did was a song called Wordy Rapping Hood. Tina's sisters came down when it was time to do the vocals and did the vocals with her. And it, it was so much fun because uh, we were kind of struggling. T Tina, was, uh, Tina had never sung before on a record album. I mean, she'd done some background vocals for Talking Heads, but, but she'd never been the lead vocalist. And she didn't think of herself as a lead vocalist and neither did I. But I said, you know, Tina, there's this new thing called rap. You can just rap. She said, oh, yeah, I can just rap. And I could write a song about words and rap the words. And I said, yeah. But we still needed kind of like a hook to the song. And when Tina's sisters, Laura and Lonnie, uh, came down to Nassau, they, they went to the beach to, to uh, you know, confer with each other about how they should proceed. And uh, one of her sisters, Lonnie said, hey, you remember that, that chant that we used to do when we were living in France that we learned in the schoolyard that goes, rum sum sum, rum sum sum, cooney 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 rum sum sum. And Tina said, yeah, I remember that. And uh, they started singing it together is something they'd learned when they were very young children, but they remembered it. And they, then they, so they, they came arm in arm, locked arm in arm into the studio. Oh and they God. said, we've got something we want to sing. And they went out, Stevie said, okay, let's do it. He set up the mics. We, they went out there and uh, pressed record. And they, they sang that chorus, the Ram Sam Sam part. And Stevie and I were like, Hallelujah. <laughs> this is so fresh and so different. It's so unique that there's no way we can't use this. So uh, we, we made a rough mix real quick. We recorded the girls made a rough mix real quick and uh, invited Chris Blackwell in to hear it. He came in, he was working with Grace Jones in the other room. And he, he came in and he said, I love it play it again. Uh, uh, so we played it again. And he said, I'm going to release this right away. And he said, I'm going to release it in the UK, Europe, and Latin America. Meanwhile, you get to work on the rest of the album. And that's how that happened. I love that. I love that. You meant, let, let's get, get into David Byrne for a second, because that's what everyone wants to talk about is, well, what's going on with Talking Heads and your relationship with David Byrne? I yeah. found it interesting to me, in the book, Remain in Love by Chris Franz, your approach to David Byrne has been almost clinical. 
some snark here or there. There's a, a line early on in when you talk about why Talking Heads didn't play Live Aid. For some reason, we were not invited to play that gig. Oh, that's right. By 1984, David had decided that Talking Heads, one of the world's great touring bands, should stop performing live. That's about as snarky as the book gets when yeah, talking about well, David that's Byrne. just that's just a true statement. You know, you can call it snarky if you want, but I, I, that was not my intention. My intention was to explain why we weren't there. People still ask me, how come you guys weren't in Live Aid? They had Madonna. Why didn't they have you? <laughs> and I, 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 you know, all I could say was, well, David sort of put the brakes on touring with Talking Heads after Stop Making Sense came out. He, his feeling was that the movie would tour for us, which it did. But, um, you know, uh, it was, it's a great movie too. Uh, very, very, very proud of it, but it's not the same as a live performance, even, even though it is a, a, re- a great record of a live performance. Oh, this is stopping sense is a portrait of a band really at the peak of its powers. I yep. was, I think a freshman in high school when stop making sense came out and it was showing first run at a place called the fine arts theater on South Michigan Avenue. I lived in the suburbs with my friends and I have vivid memories of like every weekend for a month without parents knowing, jumping on the L, taking it down to the South Loop and seeing Stop Making Sense every weekend. It, and to me, that there are a couple shows. One of my favorite cocktail party questions is if you could go back in time and see any show, which would it be? And my answer is always one of those shows that comprised Stop Making Sense. I mean, it's, it is a fantastic document of talking hats and music in general. I mean, it really is one of the great rock films. It is. It, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's some other great documentaries, music documentaries. Uh, I, I'm aware of them, but to my way of thinking, talking heads is right up there. Uh, I mean, stop making sense is right up there with the, the very best. And, and it was that movie where we learned just how much of a charisma monster you are. <laughs> <laughs> specifically the genius of love performance. Yeah. You know, when I watched that, I wish I, I kind of wish I'd toned it down a little bit, but I, 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 I couldn't help it. I was just overly excited. The girls can do, <laughs> the girls can do it too, y'all. I mean, when we take the train back to the suburbs, we quote you psychedelic yeah. and funkadelic, you know, yeah. check it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, they shouldn't have put a mic in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but As, but that, that was a, that was a very fun song to perform. Uh, I can tell you that the audience went nuts when we did it because the uh, you know they went the audience was pretty much going nuts through the whole show. But Genius of Love kind of changed up the mood a little bit, and uh, it was I think greatly appreciated. Um, I I love everything about it in that performance. And at the end, you say, we're going to change back into the talking heads. I mean, it's just (laughs) it's just such a fun live thing. Yeah. When I read the book or when I read the book, Remain in Love, I guess I was surprised that there wasn't more direct conflict in the band. I mean, or not not really that you reported it. Was this was conflict more of a passive aggressive thing? Was it just kind of. Um. You know, we didn't have conflict all the time. I, I, I know when you uh, when you read other stories about Talking Heads, 
uh, many of which are kind of regurgitated from the internet by some guy uh, who who is basically copying down what some somebody in the NME wrote about us in 1978 or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, you get conflict in, in these reports, but we went for for months and years without real conflict. And I wouldn't say even even on our worst days, there was n- nobody hit each other or or the only person that ever really raised his voice was David when he said, you should be calling me an asshole. <laughs> and what was I going to say? Yeah, David, you're an <laughs> asshole. No, I didn't say that. I, I just looked at him like, oh, OK, that's how you feel. <laughs> One of the hallmarks of a great rock biography is those behind the scenes stories, the, the building of the song. I mean, you talk about putting together psycho killer and your lyrical contribution to that stuff. I, I guess I never knew even things like Jerry Harrison only agreed to be a member of the band. If you could guarantee the band would get a record deal. Yeah. Well, you know, he, I don't blame Jerry for that because he, he had had a bad experience with the modern lovers that they, they, they got a record deal with Warner brothers John Cale was to be their producer. And during the demo session, for some reason, they wanted to make demos before the album. They all flew out to Burbank and they went into, into the studio and they recorded these demos, and which were later released as the Modern Lovers album, the one that we all know and love with Road, Roadrunner and She Cracked and all, all that. And uh, during the process of making those demos, Jonathan said, loud music is evil and I don't, I don't want to do it anymore, which is, was really weird because prior to that, his favorite band of all time had been the, the Velvet Underground and, and they were working with John Cale, you know, bona fide, you know, uh, genius who, who worked with, the Velvet Underground for many years and Jonathan quit. So Jerry had to play guitars and Jerry had to play keyboards. And uh, uh, it, I think it kind of broke his heart when the band broke up. And so he went and enrolled in, uh, he had graduated from Harvard as an undergrad and, you know, was a brainy guy. And he went back to uh, architecture school. He was, got, he was studying to be an architect. And that's when we came into the picture and tried to lure him away to join our band. And so I, I don't blame him for being kind of circumspect about it. Uh, I think he wanted to make sure that he wasn't getting into another insane situation. But uh, it, it turned out to be a little crazy in our band too. Although I, I gotta say, Jerry was um, the perfect compliment to you know for two and a half years we've been a a a trio uh, just the three of us and and when jerry came into the picture right away that every everything sounded better more you know fuller more beautiful more more uh, interesting textures in the music and uh and he was a good guy we we all liked him and so you know it it was a win-win for us Going back to this idea that, not idea, this fact that you are a music fan, and this is also a love story to music. There's a line 
as I started to read it, I had a thought, which you said right after you wrote it. The bill that night was the Petty Smith Group, Television, the Ramones, and Talking Heads. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. Then you wrote, can you imagine? It just yeah. Yeah. This is written by, I mean, you're in it. You're in Talking Heads, but you're also a fan. You are aware of, oh, this is monolithic. This is fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm I'm still, you know, I'm a fan of, of bands. And uh, I'm even a fan of some bands that I don't particularly like their records. I just, you know, there's something about them I like. I, 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 I may not ever play their records ever, but I, I, you know, I'd be very excited if I saw them, you know, coming up the driveway to my house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think I'm still a fanboy. I love it. And I, I don't want to monopolize too much of your time, Chris. Um, again, the book is remain in love before yep. I cut you loose. Can I just rattle off five talking head songs and get your first impression of them? Certainly. Let's go to pulled up. Pulled up. Uh, it's, it's a very, very sweet and, uh, well, it's a driving song. It's really up-tempo, but the lyrics are very sweet about mommy, daddy, come and look at me now. I'm a big man in a great big town. It's like, look at me, mom and dad. I made something of myself. And uh, it's a, that's a nice feeling. The big country. The big country is um, a song that was... Uh, to my way of thinking, loosely based on uh, Neil Young's style, and and uh, it it it's David's point of view. Uh, but one great thing about uh, David's lyrics is there, he will often go where somebody wouldn't, somebody else would never go. Which is, I wouldn't live there if you paid me to. <laughs> Um, most people wouldn't say uh, Willie Nelson wouldn't say that about America, but but uh, David Byrne would, and uh, people seem to respond to that that statement. Uh, I guess they could relate to it. Well, what takes the edge off, I think, is following it up with "I wouldn't live there, no siree." Like <laughs> becoming like Archie Andrews in the 1950s, kind of took a nerdy turn there. Yeah. Uh, memories can't wait. Memories Can't Wait is, uh, to my way of thinking, the, probably the heaviest song that Talking Heads ever recorded. Um, it's almost metal at times, almost. But it also has these uh, Beatlesque chord changes, and uh, particularly on the vamp going out, where it goes down, 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 down. It, it's uh, very beetly to me. And, and uh, I, I always like the idea that there's a party in my mind and it never stops. I mean, <laughs> please. <laughs> what, what do you think of the Living Color version? Great. It was that that version was recorded, but I mean, they were a damn good band. And uh, are they still together? Maybe yeah, they I saw them a couple of years ago at City Winery. They're great. Cool. Well, uh, that was recorded and produced by Ed Stasium, who did our first album, Talking Heads 77. He engineered it. He was he was not the actual producer, but he was sort of the de facto producer and and he also worked on many, many albums with the Ramones. And uh, yeah, Ed, 
Ed did a good job for them. Naive Melody. Naive Melody is perhaps the most unpredictable and tender Talking Heads song uh, that we ever did. Uh, I think at the time, David was falling in love with uh, the woman that he eventually married. And uh, it, it was it was very unusual for him to express the feelings that are expressed in that song, like uh, love me till my heart stops, love me till I'm dead. It, it was, it was very, uh, it was uh, usually David was talking about not being in love and, and having no compassion and not want to get out of my life, that, that type of thing. But, but this one was just the opposite. It was about inclusive and the warmth of, you know, a real love between a man and a woman and, uh, and a love of place, uh, like a love of the comfort of your home and your, your pipe and your slippers, you know? Uh, since we haven't really talked about little creatures at all, the lady don't mind. The lady don't mind was, uh, what kind of a sad song somehow I, I i i remember rhythmically i i i i spent a, a good deal of time uh what you hear on the record is not the first drum beat i played i i i ended up doing an i, I guess an almost a, a reggae type of uh reggae or somewhere between reggae and the, the in crowd by the Ramsey Lewis trio. <laughs> and, and, um, and the lyrics are, are sad about a woman uh, who's uh, about to jump out the window. Yeah. And it's uh, that, a metaphor. Yeah. Did you ever see the video by Jim Jarmish? The video is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there, we, again, we don't need to go deep into every album, but, Little Creatures, I mean, Television Man to me still mm. stands up beautifully. I mean, there's some great songs on that. Yeah. Yeah. Road to Nowhere is pretty hip. Yeah. I heard that one before. <laughs> uh, all right. So the book is Remain in Love. You are Chris Fan Franz. Again, a, a charisma monster, uh, really well-written book, which you wrote yourself. No need for a ghostwriter. Well, you know, I had a good education. I thought I better write this myself. <laughs> and Tina's next. Tina's working on something. Yeah, I, I, it's too early to tell you anything about it, but um, I, I, I have no doubt that Tina's going to write a very interesting book. No doubt. Well, I want to thank everyone who's been watching on social media. Thank you very much.